today on Let the Bible Speak. Life is a long series of choices, and those choices have consequences. We continue our study in the book of Ruth next on Let the Bible Speak. Greetings and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for Let the Bible Speak today. It's a privilege to have your time and attention to look into the Word of God together. Today we return to the beloved book of Ruth in the Old Testament and are looking at an ancient family who made some decisions that not only affected their own future, but even ours today. We began our series in Ruth last week talking about the terrible famine that drove Elimelech and his family away from their home in Bethlehem to a foreign land. We learned of how their consequences tested their faith in God, just as trials and perplexities will challenge our own faith today and call upon us to have to make some difficult decisions. Today I want us to begin looking at the consequences of those choices. Let's go back and reread the first six verses of the book of Ruth and the background of the story that we're studying over these next few weeks. The record says, beginning in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. The name of the little village Bethlehem where this family lived ironically means house of bread. But as the story begins, there is no bread to be found at this time. This crisis prompted Elimelech and Naomi to make a decision that would haunt their family for years to come. We're calling our series Bread in Bethlehem. Last week we talked about the times that try us today, the choices that condemn us. I'll return with today's study in a moment.
Life is a continual series of choices. Someone estimated that each one of us makes on average 35,000 decisions every day. Some of those decisions, of course, amount to very little, and some of them can determine life and death. But every single one of them has some consequence. It may not matter too much whether you decide to get up and walk across the room for a glass of water, but it certainly matters if you walk across the street in front of a moving car. You see, minute by minute and even second by second, we are consciously and unconsciously making calculations and choices that shape the course of not only that moment but our day and ultimately put them all together and they shape the course of our life. Now, God has given us the power to make choices for ourselves, big and small, but He has not given us the ability to choose the consequence of those choices. And every choice has some kind of consequence. That's especially true when we make moral and spiritual judgments pertaining to our lives. Joshua told the people of Israel as they settled in the land of Canaan, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the idol gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24 verse 15. And Moses reminded the people in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 19 and 20, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Now fast forward several generations, and this was the same choice that now confronts the family we read about in the opening scene of the book of Ruth, the family of Elimelech. We learned in our last study together, the times that try us, Elimelech and Naomi lived in Bethlehem, Judah, and a terrible famine gripped their town. T times were hard, and their faith was challenged. It's very likely that the famine was a form of God's judgment upon that place for its sin and apostasy. I say that for one reason, because it appears the famine was not affecting places just a few miles away, such as Moab. This was the time of the judges, and you have to remember much of Israel was a spiritual wreck filled with anarchy, rebellion, and idolatry at this time. Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, they may have been decent and God-fearing people, but Elimelech made a choice in the midst of that famine that doomed his family. Now, he should have stayed in the promised land and clung to God, trusted God through the famine, if indeed he was a righteous man. Remember the psalmist said that he had never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. But instead of putting his faith in God, Elimelech took matters into his own hands and he decided he needed to carry his family off to the land of Moab. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say that Elimelech sinned in doing this, but listen, if it wasn't a sin, it was certainly not a wise decision. Uh, he was taking his family away from the place where God dwelt among his people, where God was worshipped, off to a strange land. And not only was it a foreign country, it was the home of some of God's most despised enemies. Just who were the Moabites anyway? Listen, for as corrupt as some of God's people were in Israel at that time, and as far away from God as many of the people had drifted, no place could have been more opposed to God than the land of Moab. Now it wasn't that far geographically, 
as the crow would fly, it would be less than 50 miles or so, but spiritually, it was a world away. Not only that, in that day, 50 miles was a long distance to go. You didn't commute back and forth. You didn't run off to Moab for the weekend. Elimelech moved his family there for a time, and the record tells us they went to dwell in Moab. And then it says they remained there. This was a move with tremendous consequences for Elimelech and his family. Now today it may not make much difference what state or what country you live in. If you're a Christian, a Christian can live anywhere where he's able to gather with the church and worship God. But you see, it mattered to God's covenant people at that time where they lived. God's covenant involved a land that he had given them. When they inherited that land, they were to drive out the pagans and they were there to be unpolluted by the culture and the idolatry of the Canaanites and be a holy people set apart to God. So I can't imagine that God saw it as a good thing and a wise decision and a God-honoring decision for this family to leave Bethlehem Judah, the house of bread and praise, just because times got difficult and go off to this idolatrous and wicked land. You may remember that Moabites were longtime enemies of God and his people. They came from the son, which was born to Lot and his daughter in that incestuous relationship after they fled from Sodom. They became a wicked people, and they opposed the people of God down through the centuries. When, when the children of Israel came up from Egypt, and they needed to pass through what was called the king's highway, for example, the Moabite king refused to let them pass, and that angered God. God put a curse upon the Moabites. He said that no Moabite would enter the congregation of his people even under the tenth generation. Later in Psalm 60 and verse 8, uh, here's a snapshot. Here's, he, this sums up how God felt about the Moabites. God simply said in that psalm, Moab is my washpot. A washpot referred to a pot of dirty water in which one had washed the filth off their hands and feet. And you see, that's how God viewed the pagan Moabites. Let me give you a picture of life in Moab. As I say, they were idolaters. And like most idolaters, they were polytheistic. That is, they worshipped many idol gods. But the chief deity they worshipped, their national god, was an idol they named Chemosh. Chemosh was akin to the more familiar pagan god Molech. In fact, many believe that Chemosh and Molech were just different national manifestations of the same pagan god, the same pagan concept. Molech was the fire god to whom his worshipers would sacrifice their children. Now, not only the Moabite stone, but the Bible itself later gives us a glimpse of what Chemosh and the worship of Chemosh was all about how the Moabites worshipped Chemosh. He was this pot-bellied monster made of metal, and a fire would be kindled in his belly until he glowed cherry red. His arms were forged in such a way to form a cradle, which was the altar upon which sacrifices were laid. And those sacrifices were not lambs or bulls or goats, but were human beings. And not only were they human beings, they were children, babies. Tradition has it that the priests would kindle and stoke the fire until the arms of Chemosh glowed red hot, and they would beat on their drums as their child sacrifice was laid in the fiery arms of their God. 
they would beat on the drums louder and louder to drown out the screams of the infant sacrifice so their fathers would not hear them. Their sacrifices were often filled with orgies and other lustful acts. You see, this was the dark world to which Elimelech thought he had to resort to take his family to because of the famine at home in Bethlehem. I would imagine a famine would be a difficult time, but what was Elimelech thinking in taking his family to a place like Moab? Now, I imagine Elimelech was like a lot of Christians today who compromise their faith and their values when they're put in a difficult spot or when temptation arises. And he probably tried to rationalize and justify his choice. Perhaps he thought, well, our going to Moab doesn't have anything to do with our relationship with God. We don't agree with their religion and their way of life over there. Uh, we can worship our God over there just like we do over here. That may be what he thought. But let me tell you, when you compromise what is right, and when you subject yourself and your family to a wicked environment, when you willingly surround yourself with temptations, you'll pay a price for that. You will not come away unharmed and unaffected. Paul said, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. And Solomon said in Proverbs 13, verse 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. It's true no matter where we go and what we do in life that we will live in this world. We have to interact with the world. We're surrounded by the world, but we're not to be of the world. And when we choose to subject ourselves to the evil influences and temptations of the world, we're asking for trouble. You simply don't do that without consequence. We'll see in our study next week just what spiritual effect all of this had on Elimelech's family, particularly his wife Naomi. And then perhaps Elimelech said to his wife and sons, now this isn't going to be for very long. This is just, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. We don't really want to go to Moab, but we just don't seem to have any choice. This is just to escape the famine. Surely it won't last long, and we'll be right back here at home where we belong in no time. Maybe that's what he thought, but I remind you, the Bible not only says they went and dwelt in Moab, it then says they remained there. And regardless of how long Elimelech had in mind, the Bible tells us it turned into 10 long years before any of his family were able to return home. The saying goes, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. And I have to believe that his choice took Elimelech farther than he ever wanted to go. It left him much longer than he ever intended to stay. And I know for a fact that it cost him far more than he wanted to pay. Because his move to Moab led to 10 long years of sickness, sorrow, death, and heartache. It actually led to his own death. I don't know how it happened or how soon it happened, but sometime after they went to Moab, Elimelech died. Ruth chapter 1 verse 3 says, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. This alone would have created a terrible hardship for Naomi. She's now lost her husband in a dark land far away from home. Life can be hard enough for a widow in today's world, but imagine in that time. Women were viewed by the world of that day as second-class citizens. Their testimony was not accepted in a court they were typically dependent upon their husbands for survival, for a home, for a living. 
And now, Naomi has lost her husband in another country, far from home and kin. Her only hope for survival was her two sons, Malon and Chilion. And when their father died, the Bible tells us they stayed there in Moab, and it tells us then that these two young men found and took wives from the land of Moab, two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. See how comfortable this family has become living in Moab? Now I want to say a little bit about, the, about their choice. Orpah and Ruth were evidently good-hearted women. We know that Ruth was, and Orpah, I believe, was too. And they made good wives to Malon and Chilion. They were certainly good to their mother-in-law, Naomi. But now don't take that as license to make the same decisions that this family made. You see, God can use bad situations and turn them around for the good of His people and for His purposes. God has been known to do that all through history. But that is not a license to go out and get yourself into a bad situation to begin with. I can't imagine that God would have smiled upon the decision of these two boys. God specifically forbade His people from marrying the Canaanites when they entered the land of Canaan. And not only that, God warned His people at different times through their history against marrying pagan people, against marrying unbelievers, because their hearts would be polluted by the idolatry of the people they were marrying into. I believe that's what the Bible means in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1-8, through 8, when it speaks of the sons of God who married the daughters of men and gave birth to the Nephilim, which eventually precipitated the flood. Now, many speculate that the sons of God there refer to angels coming down and marrying human women. But I believe the sons of God refers to those of the godly line, the godly seed line of Seth. And the daughters of men refers to the descendants of his wicked brother Cain. In other words, the righteous people married the unrighteous. And the giants that were born to these unions, I believe, merely refers to mighty and fierce men who continued to corrupt the earth. That's what happens when the righteous become unequally yoked with the unrighteous. More times than not, unrighteousness wins out in those situations. Solomon married pagan women and they turned his heart away from God. And in fact, Solomon, if you can imagine, later built a shrine to this very idol Chemosh that the Moabites were here worshiping. Now you may can point to cases where a child of God has converted their unbelieving spouse and praise God if that's the case. But I'm telling you, that's the exception and it is not the rule. So look at the consequences of Elimelech's choice. He died. His sons married pagan women from a nation of people who were God's avowed enemies. And we're not through. The Bible then says that Malon and Chilion died. I don't know what happened to them, except that their names mean weak and sickly and pining, so that's probably a good clue as to what happened to them. Regardless, though, they both died. Now you talk about a tragedy. Imagine what this meant for Naomi. She goes from a difficult situation to a desperate situation. There was no social security to draw, no government safety net, no life insurance policy to cash out. And here she is with no husband and no sons in a strange land away from all of her family. She has left, she is left only with her two daughters-in-law. And regardless of what we can say about her sons marrying heathen wives, thank God they were good enough women to care and remain with their mother-in-law. They loved her dearly, and they stayed by her side, and that's to their credit. Now, our story will take a dramatic turn next week.
But as we leave for today, I want you to see that this woman, Naomi, is lost, has lost everything and is left alone. Her name in Hebrew means pleasant, but Naomi is anything but pleasant to behold at this point in her life. A foolish choice has taken her far from home into the depths of sorrow and poverty and loss and heartache and bitterness. That's where foolish decisions and where leaving the covenant of God will take you too. You may think very little of making choices that compromise your faith and your spiritual values, compromising with the world, doing what you need to do to get by, to have a little fun, to have friends, to be popular in the world, to make life easier, whatever the rationale, whatever the motivation may be, you may think that those decisions are little consequence and that you can reverse them whenever you get ready to straighten up your life. I'm going to tell you our choices may be ours to make, but the consequences are not ours to choose. And our choices can condemn us to all kinds of unnecessary suffering and heartache in life. And would to God we learn that before we make life's choices. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe sin and spiritual neglect has carried you far off into a strange and very dark place. Next week, some good news came to Naomi. Wonderful news came to her. And as hard as her life was, and as difficult as circumstances may have been in going home, it was yet wonderful news for her. And God, is some, and God has some good news for you too. Next time, we're going to talk about the decisions that destine us. Just as terrible decisions can condemn us, wonderful decisions can destine us to greatness. And it's one of the most beautiful and greatest stories in all of God's Word and in all of history that we'll learn about as we learn about this young woman, Ruth. I'll return to tell you how to get a copy of today's lesson. But first, here's another song. There is a story how Jesus we must tell every day while traveling to that new home above. With joy I'm telling the story how he came from above to save the sinners with his great love. Well, love is love.
Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see all of our past broadcasts, plus extra videos, including Let the Bible Speak classics all the way back to the 1960s. And get new updates, go to YouTube and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and click on subscribe. Perhaps you've made some disastrous choices in your own life that have led you to a far away place, far from God, far from His will. Well, I hope you'll stay with me for the remainder of our series because it's going to take a wonderful turn. And we're going to find the redemption that Jesus Christ offers today. So continue to be with me for our study, Bread in Bethlehem. If you'd like a free printed copy of today's lesson, we'll be glad to send it to you free of cost. Simply specify the sermon, The Choices That Condemn Us, and we'll get that printed copy to you as soon as we can. You can find us online, ltbstv.org. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just look for Let the Bible Speak TV. And you can also find us on Facebook, and we have a podcast you can subscribe to and listen to Let the Bible Speak whenever you would like and on the go. Thanks for joining me today for the program. Make your plans, if the Lord wills, to be back with me next time. Encourage someone else to join in on our study of the book of Ruth. And I hope that uh, we'll be able to meet back here next time. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.